The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the moderator of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really interesting conversation on targeted temperature management after in-hospital cardiac arrest. Today, we are very fortunate to have Drs. Lasker and Scribas as our guests. Dr. Lasker is the senior author on the CHEST paper entitled Targeted Temperature Management After In-Hospital Cardiac Arrest an ancillary analysis of the Hyperion's trial. And Dr. Scribas wrote the accompanying editorial, which was very insightful. So we're going to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Uh, Dr. Lascaro? Yes, thank you. Uh, so I'm Jean-Baptiste Lascaro. I'm a French ICU physician with a special interest in cardiac arrest. And I work in Nantes, in the west of France. And I'm also a member of the Afterwards Network, which is a French network dedicated to post-arrest uh, care. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, Dr. Skrivas. Yes, hello. Very nice to be here. So my name is Marcus Skrivas. I'm a professor of pre-hospital emergency medicine uh, and intensive care physician working in Helsinki, Finland, also with an interest in post-cardiac arrest care and uh, especially targeted temperature management. Great. An absolute pleasure to also have you on the podcast. So, Marcus, we're going to ask you to kick this podcast off for us. Um, maybe you could uh, inform our audience, why is temperature management after in-hospital cardiac arrest so important? So, uh, we, of course, know based on experimental evidence that temperature, and especially cold temperature, hypothermia, can alleviate various forms of, of organ injury after hypoxia. So brain injury, cardiac injury, they all seem to uh, do better uh, if the temperature is low. Uh, And uh, then in 2002, the first clinical study, the HACA trial, and then also an Australian uh, trial by Bernard and colleagues, for the first time showed in humans that perhaps by targeting mild therapeutic hypothermia, so a temperature of 33 degrees, for 24 hours could improve outcome after cardiac arrest or, and the hypoxic brain injury that these patients get. And this was, of course, uh, uh, a big event because prior to that, many things had been tried, uh, various drugs, calcium channel in, inhibitors, typentone, uh, and, and, and other things. And, and for the first time, there was some drug treatment, uh, no, no, not an intervention of, available that could alleviate injury and improve outcome. Uh, and then with regards to, to, to this study, the Hyperion study, the important thing about the Hyperion study is that it, it 
it included a, a very a group of patients. So the patients with cardiac arrest, but with a non-shockable uh, initial rhythm. And that was uh, uh, a group of patients that traditionally have a very, very poor outcome. Uh, so in that sense, uh, th this publication that's been published is, is very important. Of course, in science, things develop. And now some of you may know that the TTM2 study was published last year. So the largest study on temperature management after cardiac arrest. So comparing a target of 33 to, to, to a target of nor normothermia, which didn't show any benefit from, from uh, targeting uh, 33 degrees or mild therapy hypothermia. So now, in fact, the, the recommendation from the international uh, societies, the ILCOR and the European Resuscitation Council and European Society of Intensive Care Medicine is to not target hypothermia, but to aim to uh, uh, prevent and treat fever. So target the temperature of less than 37.7 uh, and, and target 37.5. So, so that's the, the current evidence uh, uh, or the cu current guideline on how to manage temperature after cardiac arrest. So, Marcus, I do want to dive a little bit deeper into that because uh, you, you alluded to two important facts, you know, targeting the right temperature. There are some who target a temperature of 33 and some who target a temperature of uh, 36 or 37. But as you rightly said, you know, sometimes if you target a temperature of 37, there tends to be a range in patients' uh, temperature. Even though you target 37, it may rise above that to 38 or uh, 39. There's usually a confidence interval associated with that. So based on the previous work or the guidelines, it would indicate that you should actually be targeting less than 37.8 rather than allowing the uh, temperature to rise above uh, 37.8. Maybe you could comment on that for our audience. Yes, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and uh, of course, if we discuss the TTM2 study, the, the largest study, and also, uh, I mean, Lascaru, Professor Lascaru will be able to comment on the Hyperion study. But, but what you actually do is that you put an upper level that you won't, do not want the patient to go above. So if the temperature goes above 37.7 and your conservative means, you know, giving a paracetamol, exposing the patient doesn't help, then you need to start using a device in order to make sure that the temperature isn't above that high level. And then you will set your device to target 37.5. Of course, if you're spontaneously at 37.1, 37.3, 36.5, then there is really not much evidence about whether it's better to be all the time at 37.5 than to have a variation in temperature. So, so that's, that's, I think, what we know at this moment. If you have fever and your conservative measures don't work and you start to using a device, then you target 37.5. If you don't use a device and your conservative measures work, then any temperature that's above this high level is probably going to be good for you. And then also, could you just comment on um, the outcome measures? Um, there's obviously alive versus dead, but more importantly, when we're dealing with a brain function, there's alive with good neurologic outcome versus dead versus alive with poor neurologic outcome. Maybe you could comment on that, and then we'll turn mm -hmm. to uh, Dr. Lascaro to comment on his study. 
Mm. So that's a, of course, a very good question. So, so in general, in 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 studies, we look at six months uh, outcome, hundred eight hundred and eighty day outcome, uh, and some studies use mortality, and some studies uh, use good neurological good neurological outcome, which is in general defined as a cerebral performance category scale of either one or two which means that you're independent in your daily activities uh, and you can manage by yourself, uh, whereas a CPC3, which means that you are not dependent, so you will be needing help with your daily activities. And in general, the what's defined as a good outcome is a category of one or two, so, so the patient being independent in their daily activities. Gotcha. So let's turn to Jean-Baptiste. Jean-Baptiste, maybe you could tell us uh, why you performed uh, the secondary analysis. You already had a um, randomized trial. Uh, Why did you perform an ancillary analysis uh, looking at in-hospital cardiac arrest and the effect of targeted temperature management? Uh, yes, thanks. Um, when we published the, the hyperantrial, a lot of people um, asked for uh, for for question and and um, and comments about uh, subgroup analysis, which was uh, pre-planned in the hyperantrial regarding the location of the arrest. Because as uh, as Marcus said uh, uh, some uh, some minutes ago, the Hyperion was the only trial which uh, uh, allow uh, investigators to include both in and out of hospital cardiac arrest. Most of the trials were done for out of hospital cardiac arrest, and uh, a German trial was uh, conduced, but we didn't have the result uh, yet. Maybe in the in the next few months. So we we were the only one to allow inclusion of in and out of hospital cardiac arrest because. In my mind and in your mind, we think that the the the, the characteristic associated with the cardiac arrest is the cornerstone of the prognosis of the patient, better than the comorbidities or the location of the, the cardiac arrest. It was the the reason why we we choose to include both uh, both patients. And when we look at the at the results, we found a trend uh, for better um, better uh, efficiency of uh, uh, therapeutic hypothermia for patients with in hospital cardiac arrest. The first thing is to is to say and to to be very clear on that and to insist on that that uh, there is a positive signal for both in and out of hospital cardiac arrest. There is no um, um, cost for uh, out of hospital cardiac arrest for the increased benefit for in hospital cardiac arrest. So the the therapeutic hypothermia was beneficial for both the patients in and out, but we want to know. Why uh, and is there a, a biological plausibility to to have an increased benefit of uh, therapeutic hypothermia for in hospital cardiac arrest? This is the reason why we we conduce this postdoc analysis. Okay, so maybe you could dive into uh, the study methods and how you went about performing the study. Importantly, you did say this was a pre-specified uh, secondary analysis, but one of the concerns folks will raise is um, these. Uh, um, your findings weren't stratified or that the patients weren't stratified on randomization. So even though it's a secondary analysis of a randomized trial, the data that you're presenting, um, the, the covariates or the, the baseline characteristics may not be similar across both groups because of the secondary analysis. Maybe you could comment on that and your study methods. Yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're perfectly right. The, the, 
the analysis which was pre-planned was the just subgroup analysis published in the main paper, uh, published in 2019. Um, but uh, we want to to look at uh, to look at those data, and so there is an imbalance between patients in uh, therapeutic hypothermia and uh, therapeutic normothermia. So we choose to uh, adjust for that with a, a, a global score, which is a, a score dedicated to patients with cardiac arrest, uh, especially uh, developed in France, the the CAP score. So it is probably a, a well, um, a, a good way to to adjust for a baseline characteristic in the in the in the two the two groups, and uh, we found uh, an increased benefit for uh, for um, functional outcome, not neurological outcome, but better functional outcome in the in the single um, in the univariate analysis, and uh, also when we adjust on CAP score and on circulatory shock. So. Uh, it's probably just a hypothesis generating, but it's uh, maybe a good way to 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 look at how the therapeutic hypothermia was done in those patients to uh, try to um, to to do the same for out of hospital cardiac arrest. So there is maybe uh, some uh, reason to find that it's not just a, a statistical uh, um, uh, statistical um, uh, hazard, but maybe um, uh, a good way to perform uh, therapeutic hypothermia. The first thing is that the patient is already in the hospital, so you can cool those patients earlier. So, and in all um, uh, data, animal data, experimental data, the, the, the earlier cooling, the earlier uh, and the better prognosis. So it's the, the, the first explanation. The second in that the triage of those patients is better because the patient uh, is um, uh, also already in the hospital. So you have maybe more time to allow uh, spontaneous breathing, early awaking, and to, um, to, to have a fine evaluation of the brain damage of those patients because probably it, uh, it knows it, it, um, it uh, didn't help the patient to perform therapeutic hypothermia if there is no brain damage. Uh, it's just a, a waste of time and a waste of costs. And, and the last one uh, is to, um, is to uh, avoid the avoidance of uh, early sedation because the patient is uh, already in the hospital. Because the uh, main fact that it's, uh, I think, underestimated in the, in the triage of those patients is the sedatives. Uh, that are that are it needs for transport of the patient by uh, EMS and pre-hospital, uh, even in France with doctor in the EMS, but uh, which is a, a, a bias for the for the evaluation of brain damage of, of those patients at uh, hospital admission. So uh, maybe just the hazard, or maybe there are some ways to explain these uh, results and to put it in the context and to try to uh, uh, better understand. The, uh, the trials dedicated to, to, to therapeutic hypothermia, the TTM1, the TTM2, the Hyperion, and the other. Because we, keep, we must keep in mind that the patient included in the Hyperion uh, was not the same that uh, there was included in the, in the, in the TTM2 with a third quarter of patients with shockable rhythm, more than 40% of patients with ST elevation and coronary angiography. So it's pretty not the same, uh, the same population. And I think the, the triage and the selection of the patient in the further dedicated research for, for therapeutic hypothermia is probably a, a, a way to, to increase your knowledge and to, to increase the, beneficial, uh, the benefits of, uh, of therapeutic hypothermia. Okay, Jean-Baptiste. So, Marcus, I want to pull you into this discussion because um, 
uh, John Baptiste findings, which is, would suggest to be or our hypothesis generating that there may be benefits with targeted temperature management down to 33 degrees. But in your editorial, rightly so, you um, uh, asked the readers to uh, show some caution in um, making this uh, a wide applicably um, uh, therapy for several reasons. Uh, related to the fact that targeted temperature wasn't achieved and that there were significant imbalances. Maybe you could comment on that for us, Marcus. So, so um, of course, when I first, when I read the Hyperion study, when it was published, uh, uh, I was, uh, and probably many others, were a bit uh, surprised with the quite big difference in efficacy of the, the, the intervention. So it, it appeared in the in the big trial to be very effective in in hospital cardiac arrest uh, and much much less so in out of hospital cardiac arrest uh, and of course as you pointed out the the lack of stratification i of course thought that there must be some imbalance in these groups that there must be more icu cardiac arrests or more cardiac care unit cardiac arrests uh, in the hypothermia group or something else something else that's going on that there's some despite the randomization there's an imbalance and that explains the better outcome in the hypothermia group. So I think this uh, post hoc study now published in CHEST shows that this is not the case, that they were uh, at least based on most of the things that we know that make a difference after inhospital cardiac arrest, uh, the, the groups here are well balanced. On the other hand, what was surprising to me, because of course, one thing with hypothermia treatment that has always been put forward is that we're too slow. You have to get the patient down to, to low temperatures very quickly because the brain injury starts to develop uh, during the reperfusion period. Uh, and of course, it's a, it's a great hypothesis that uh, Jean-Baptiste puts forward uh, that, yes, the intervention can be started much quicker. But to my surprise, when I read this uh, postdoc analysis, there wasn't really that, that much difference in the time to target temperature into the, uh, the time from the cardiac rest until the patient was at, at target. So it also took a bit of, of time for the patient to be cooled down uh, in the in-hospital patients. So, so th this was surprising to me. And the other point for me, the final point for me, is that when we think about cardiac rest, we think that out of hospital cardiac rest, why do patients die? Well, they died because of brain injury. They get brain injury that we can't treat. They don't die of kidney failure. They don't die of shock. They don't die of pneumonia, pulmonary contusions, or anything like, like, like that. The main problem is uh, hypoxic brain injury. But then again, perhaps in hospital cardiac arrest, at least the, the data shows that this may not be the case, that you, we don't see the same degree of very bad hypoxic brain injury after in-hospital in cardiac arrest, but instead we, de we see multi-organ failure, we see circulatory shock. So, so uh, that when I then think why is target temperature management targeting 33 degrees so effective in the in-hospital population when hypoxic brain injury is not the main problem, does it have some some other type of beneficial effect that we that we don't know of at the moment? Well, that is interesting. Maybe Marcus, you could comment on 
um, they actually, I mean, so, so in John Baptiste's study, they targeted 30 degrees versus 37 degrees. But when you look at the figure, um, the 37 degree group, um, there's a range. It ranges from 35 up to 39 degrees Celsius, which uh, is technically almost a, it's a fever. Um, so there were patients in the group um, uh, that supposedly were targeting normothermia who actually were not normothermic. So that's the one point I'd like you to comment on, um, which would obviously favor the uh, the group that uh, had a low temperature of 33. And the second uh, point is about the dose of epinephrine received. Um, the group that received uh, targeted temperature management down to 33 degrees ended up receiving less um, uh, epi uh, injections during their codes, and they also received uh, a less total dose of epinephrine, which would suggest that those patients, uh, they came um, out of, uh, they achieved ROSC uh, sooner uh, than the other group. Could you comment on that for us? Um, that, that That's, of course, uh, Good points. Uh, if we look at the temperature curves, of course, there's a there's a de- degree of uh, variation, uh, and there's a degree of variation, of course, also in the 33 degree group, uh, and this then, of course, comes down to what kind of target temperature management device do you use? And I think uh, Jean Baptiste will be the the much better person to 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 comment on that. But I don't think that these. Uh, the variations, uh, and I, I would uh, need to ask also, Jan Baptiste, in the figure in the paper, in Figure One, what are the uh, the the whiskers that are shown in in that figure? Is it is it an interquartile range or a con, or a ninety five percent confidence interval? Can you remember uh, from the top of your heart? Uh, no, it's ninety five percent interval. So. Um, uh, 95% of patients appear in the, fig- in the figure. This is why there is a wide range. Because if we choose to, to put just the interquartile range, the, 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 the figure was uh, straight uh, around uh, 37 uh, mm-hmm. or closer. But we choose to, 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 to perform the figure as uh, it was done in the, in the TTM1 trial and in Imperial trial to, to allow better uh, translation for, for the readers. Mm. Uh, I, I would think that this is uh, the, the better way. I mean, this is a pragmatic trial. I mean, we can say that, yes, uh, we want all our hypothermia patients to be 33 degrees. Of course, everybody wants that, but but it's a question, how, how do you achieve it? And I think the trialists have done their best. It reflects clinical practice. You have a device, you set the device to target 33, and then not all patients will be at 33. And the same thing will be with normothermia. We will have some patients who get fever no matter what. And that's just the way it is, the way I see it. With regards to epinephrine, uh, of course, that's, uh, that's a difference that's there. Of course, when, when you have, uh, in, like in this study, when you have uh, how many, pa- there, there were 70, 80 patients in each group and you compare lots of things, then of course there will be some differences. Uh, epinephrine, uh, if if the patients receive more epinephrine in the uh, in the normothermia group, well, it's it, it's it, it's something that's uh, that just happened uh, based by chance. It could be a sign, of course, that they had a more complicated cardiac arrest. Uh, but then, when you look at, for example, the time to return of spontaneous circulation, I don't think that there's there any any major difference. Uh, so, so yes, a difference in, in amount of epinephrine is there, but much, many other markers 
of uh, illness severity is, is similar uh, in the two groups. So, um, so that's that's about what I can say about that. Then, any other um, concerns that, uh, uh, that when you read the paper, Marcus, uh, that our uh, listeners should be aware of? And then after that, we'll turn to Jean Baptiste to give his uh, rebuttal. Uh, of course, I mean this is a. I mean the Hyperion study is a well-performed study. Uh, uh, if one would need to to bring up one piece of criticism for Hyperion, the Hyperion study, it's of course size, the, the sample size. So there's a difference in the groups that's statistically significant, but there's a fair bit of uncertainty still there. And of course, this post-hoc analysis. Uh, shows that this difference that we saw in the Hyperion study favoring hypothermia in the in-hospital group, that was not due to major imbalances uh, in the baseline characteristics that happened due to chance despite the randomization. Uh, but of course, this is a small study. It's 73 patients in the hypothermia group, 86 in the normal thermia group. So there's so we're not really certain about the effect yet, uh, and and that's that's my um, my only criticism uh, that this is uh, hypothesis generating. This should be studied further in a larger trial, uh, and then with more patients, we will know uh, for certain for certain whether TTM at targeting thirty three really improves outcome after in hospital cardiac arrest. Thank you, Marcus. John Baptiste. Yeah, I, I think we, we talked uh, a little bit about uh, uh, the TTM1, TTM2 trial earlier. Uh, I, I think we must uh, balance between the, the benefit and the risk of the therapeutic hypothermia because the, the main risk, um, as we know nowadays, is the uh, arrhythmia associated with therapeutic hypothermia, which was uh, uh, highly significant in the TTM2. And probably uh, the patient with in-hospital cardiac arrest has a low risk of arrhythmia, except for patients in the cardiac care unit uh, uh, and so on. But there is a plausible benefit and the low level of risk. So maybe we can choose on the individual uh, uh, level basis. The second one is the uh, the time frame of the evaluation because in Hyperion it was three months. Uh, it was the beginning of the of the window opened by the the, the international guidelines for for cardiac arrest uh, for for study dedicated to cardiac arrest. But it's quite ambitious to have an intervention done on the first day of uh, ICU admission, which can be uh, associated with uh, an impact of three months, six months, one or one year. So we must maybe. Uh, must be better balanced between the, the time window and three, six, or 24 months. And the last time, uh, the last thing is the selection of the patient, because I, I think we, it better not to, we have two ways to perform RCTs. We can uh, select the patient population, and in other way, we can include all patients and perform subgroup analysis. So probably Hyperion is the, is the first way to, to perform RCT. 
and, and we can uh, maybe we have targeted the, the best population maybe it's it just the hazard that I think we have targeted the good population for therapeutic hypothermia and especially when we, we know now the, the, the results of the um, individual patient meta-analysis of TTM1 and TTM2 which, uh, which show a plausible benefits of, uh, of therapeutic hypothermia for patients without bystander CPR with no flow upper than, than zero. So maybe we have nowadays some insights for therapeutic hypothermia and better than to, uh, to perform therapeutic hypothermia for all, we can maybe deliver therapeutic hypothermia just for the patient the most able to, to benefit from, from this intervention. What is your response to that, Marcus? No, I mean that 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 that's a that's a great great comment, and and this is of course uh, what we always struggle with when a patient arrives uh, in the emergency department uh, in the ICU. Does this patient have the risk, the real risk of developing brain injury? Uh, because if if that's not the case, then then probably. To me, at least, the this intervention, if it if it works, it's about alleviating brain injury, uh, and and that's of course the big problem. We don't have any biomarker. We don't have any test uh, uh, that we could use when the patient arrives to say is this patient at risk of developing brain injury, uh, and uh, I, I get I definitely get the point of the TTM T one TTM two. Uh, the the new IPDMA that's been published uh, and there's very interesting signal about lack of bystander CPR, uh, which which is interesting. But then on the other hand, things that have not played out is time to return of spontaneous circulation, which of course we also know that is a very strong variable, a marker of severity of brain injury. And I'm surprised that that doesn't come out. Of course, it's it's a bit tricky when we have non-shockable rhythms where we know that 10 minutes of cardiac rest is not the same as 10 minutes of cardiac rest if your initial rhythm is ventricular fibrillation. Uh, and this, of course, is very complex, but it's probably related to why do you get your cardiac rest? Well, if you get ventricular fibrillation, you probably have myocardial infarction. You have a fairly, your, your physiology is okay. Then you get an arrhythmia and you have your cardiac rest Whereas PEA, asystole, you may have respiratory insufficiency, hypoxia, your, your uh, pulmonary embolism or your shock, and, and your physiology is already deranged when you have your cardiac rest. So the 10 minutes may not necessarily mean, mean the same thing in these two patient groups, which, it, which of course makes it very complex. Yeah, it's definitely a challenging uh, situation. Um, I do want to be mindful of each of you time. Um, so as we draw to uh, the end of this podcast, I do want to give each of you the opportunity to um, give any uh, final reflections um, on this paper that uh, you reviewed and wrote, um, as well as any concluding remarks for our audience. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, Marcus, and then I'll let uh, Jean-Baptiste uh, have the final word. Marcus? So, I mean, of course, the Hyperion study is a fantastic study. It's it's the largest one conducted in this specific patient group. Uh, and this uh, post hoc analysis, uh, which uh, I read with much interest, uh, answered many of my questions. Uh, but, of course, when it answered many of my questions, it, it raised even more. So it, it makes you think 
as there weren't any difference in time to target temperature, for example. Uh, and still, hypothermia seemed to work much better in the in-hospital group. Why is this? What's going on here? Uh, uh, so, so um, as always with science, we, 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 we raise this paper creates even more questions. And, and the only way to answer this would be larger studies, which I've, I've heard that's being planned to, to do a larger randomized study focusing on in-hospital cardiac arrest and, could, and, and, and do it the same way as the Hyperion study. Uh, and with that, we'll, we'll have, I think, the, probably the final answer on TTM after in-hospital cardiac arrest, which has been so nicely uh, raised now in, in, in this post hoc paper by Lascaru and colleagues. Yeah, hopefully we'll finally get an answer to this question, and uh, hopefully this research will be done uh, soon. Jean-Baptiste, do you get the final word? Yeah, um, I, I fully agree with Marcus that there are more uh, questions than answers. Uh, and I'm happy that there is still maybe a place to perform such trial. And I think we must keep in mind that... Uh, uh, at the, uh, an individual uh, level, the patient, the patient level, um, we can choose still to, to perform therapeutic hypothermia, uh, as um, uh, um, mentioned in the guidelines, because there are some some groups which can benefit. Maybe at this time the the, the in hospital uh, uh, group is the is the better, but uh, I don't think so. Uh, and also we must um, keep be. Um, uh, fluent and and uh, with the with the technique and with the way to perform therapeutic hypothermia because um, it will be difficult in the future to perform such trial if we didn't uh, be able to to perform well uh, therapeutic hypothermia but uh, at this time uh, it's uh, it's right that there are a lot of questions raised by by the, this study but uh, I think we need more research and this is the the scientific way to to answer those questions. I agree. Um, it's usually inch by inch rather than mile by mile. So hopefully we will uh, get to the final answer on this. A very big thank you uh, to Drs. Lasker and Skrivas for uh, an interesting conversation. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a chess podcast.